This morning's reading is from Romans chapters 11 and 12, and if you're following in the Pew Bible, that's pages 1138 and 1139. So, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, and reading through to chapter 12, verse 2. This is God's living word. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. So this morning we begin a new series for this month and through next month of one chapter, which I invite you to turn to now, Romans chapter 12, page 1139. Uh, just one chapter we'll be looking at of this Apostle's great letter to the early Christian believers who 2,000 years ago lived in the capital city of the empire, Rome. And we've entitled this series, Shaped by Grace, How the Gospel Transforms Us. It's, it's the Christian contention that God by His Holy Spirit can not only save us from sin and death and hell, or to use uh, the language of Romans chapter 1, from God's wrath. But the Holy Spirit can also save us for a life of godliness, or to use another word, a life of love, as highlighted here in this chapter, uh, Romans 12. So this then is, is going to be a most hopeful series of teaching for us to anticipate at the start of a new year, because if God, by His Holy Spirit, lives within you, as we are told in Romans 8, then however frustrated you are with yourself or however disappointed you may be by your own unchrist-like behavior, then please know there is hope. There is nothing too difficult for God to transform. God loves to transform and make us more like Jesus, those He has saved. And it begins, how? Well, it begins uh, with the renewing of our minds. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been your counselor? Please, in these next few moments, will you do a work of grace within our minds so that we in turn may be able to test and approve what is your good and pleasing and perfect will. And what we ask 
is ultimately for your glory. Amen. Already this morning, I've had the privilege of participating in a discussion on the radio about the hopes and challenges that we as a society face in the year ahead. And this is a time when naturally we look forward to and anticipate what could be rather than what has been. And as Adam mentioned, it's the time for making New Year resolutions, which more often than not get forgotten about within a week. On the 1st of January of this year, that's last Monday, I swam in the sea at 8.30 in the morning and then went on to walk 18,500 steps. But when I tell you the swim was in the Dead Sea, you might not be so impressed. And you may not believe that this bout of physical activity on my part has been a transformational resolution. If I want to make exercise a more regular activity in my schedule, I must do more than make a personal New Year resolution. I need you. I need to be transformed by mutual encouragement and by the renewing of my mind so that with God's power, I'm able to do what in my own strength and ability I am quite unable to do. So we come to the very first word of our text for today, which is therefore, and of course we have to ask, what on earth is it therefore? Therefore, I encourage you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The truth is this, that uh, even at this early stage, the church in Rome was hopelessly divided. Uh, Christians from a Jewish background and believers from a Gentile background found themselves uh, worshiping the living Lord together, but culturally they were so very different. And so in this early part of the letter written to them by Paul in the winter of uh, 57 from uh, Corinth, Paul had to point out one major way in which these Christians from the two different backgrounds were actually identical. What was the single thing that united rather than divided these Gentile and Jewish believers? And the answer is their dirty, rotten sin. That's what united them. As it is written in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Romans 3 verse 10, there's no one righteous. No, not even one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Paul says you've got something far more in common than you realized before. All of you are sinners who amazingly, astonishingly, have been saved by God's grace. And if it weren't for God's mercy, and we see mercy is a term used many, many times in chapter 9, if it weren't for the mercy of God, not one of you would be in a right relationship with him. None of you would be Christians. Now he says, since God has shown you mercy by sending Jesus in order to save undeserving, wretched, dirty sinners such as you and such as me, chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you therefore, I urge you therefore, in the light of God's mercy, 
to be transformed after the image of Christ through the renewing of your minds. And that way, together you'll be able to know the right way to live and behave. So out of a motivation of gratitude, out of a sense of thankfulness for all that God has done for us in Jesus, now Paul urges Jewish and Gentile believers to what? To try harder? To pull up their socks? To do better? Actually, no. He encourages them, verse 1, to worship. Everybody worships something. You do know that. Not everybody realizes what they worship. But since worship is an engagement of our entire being in adoration, we can worship a lover, we can worship an ideal, we can worship an object, we can worship animal, vegetable, or mineral, we can worship a person, place, or thing. But authentic worship is generated out of gratitude to God for His sheer mercy, what He has done for us that we do not deserve. King David put it this way in Psalm 40. He lifted me up and out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And that's why he writes in Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. So I'd have a sense of sheer thankfulness for God's mercy that we've received through Christ we are called to worship. And how are we to do that? Well, the answer is in verse 1. By offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Rob and me, as I say, have just come back from a father-son few days in the Holy Land. And in Jerusalem, we stood in the place where over generations, hundreds of thousands of sacrifices were offered by pilgrim people to a holy God. Sacrifices of innocent, pure, bleating lambs in order to atone for the people's sin. And on that site, that very place, Jesus stood in our place and offered himself once and for all as the sacrificial lamb, without spot, without blemish, in order to take away your sin and mine. On his body, as the nails were forced through his hands and into his feet, he died so that you and me should not have to. Now, if Jesus has offered his body in that way, if he has died our death, if Jesus has sacrificed all for us, what is the only right, the only appropriate response for us in return, except for us to offer our bodies now to him as living sacrifices? Some people suppose it's no big deal to God what we do with these bodies of ours, how we use them, how we abuse them, how we utilize them sexually or intellectually. These bodies of ours with hands and feet and hearts and minds and voices and wills, every single part of our beings are made by God and are designed to honor Him, 
to serve other people to make a practical difference in this dark and difficult world in which we live. And so even as Jesus offered his body as a sacrifice for our sin, so now out of sheer gratitude we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this is our spiritual act of worship. Now, how are we to do this? How are we to offer our entire beings to God in glad surrender? And Paul gives us two straightforward and practical comments, and here here we finish. One of them is negative, and the other is positive. One is what we're not to do, and the other is what we are to do. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Two simple and helpful pointers in order to us to grow in grace and to be godly worshipers. Eugene Peterson's translation of verse 2 do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Isn't that helpful? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Uh, The word for conformed is the same as you would find for a liquid jelly poured into a mold so that it sets and takes on the same shape as the thing that is round about it. Don't be like that, says Paul. You're not the same as an unbeliever who takes on the shape of secular society and cannot be differentiated from it. You are meant to feel uncomfortable in certain situations. The Holy Spirit intends you to be disturbed within your spirit when you witness particular things happening. Don't put yourself in places where gradually your moral compass is compromised or your conscience becomes dulled. The way we react to people at work matters. Our bosses might be cynical, Don't be squeezed into that mold. Our society might be sectarian. Christian people refuse to follow the crowd. Look at the price Christ has paid with his body for your body to be redeemed. Don't fit into society simply because everybody else is doing it, whatever doing it is. Refuse to let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold you from within. Now, the old adage continues to be true and always will be rubbish in, rubbish out. Don't be surprised if what you watch, if what you choose to read, what you surf, what you allow yourself to listen to actually helps or hinders your spiritual well-being and how you react to other people. Don't be surprised by that. I always remember visiting a man years ago in hospital 
who got a bit embarrassed because he was reading the Sun newspaper. I only get it for the sport, he said. Well, maybe, but he wasn't greatly growing in grace and knowledge and love of God either. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, if the first comment is negative, urging Christians to be careful what we permit ourselves to see or hear or touch, the second comment is positive. Let God remold your minds from within so that in turn you may be able to prove and practice what the plan of God is for your life, that it's good enabling you to meet all possible demands and moves you towards the goal of maturity. The plan that God has for you is good. Do you honestly think that Jesus died on a cross in order to make your life miserable? Is that why Jesus died in order to take away your joy to give you a whole new set of burdensome rules and regulations. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not a New Year resolution such as determining to go for a swim in the sea every day or trying terribly hard to be good. Romans 12 is a delightful encouragement to keep on relying on the mercy of God as found here in the Scriptures and day by day, moment by moment, seeking His help and enabling to become more like our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, to look out for ways that we may grow our Christian life and mature in godliness. A minister was once asked by a young couple who had just got engaged what was the most expensive part of a wedding, and his reply was this, the vows. That's the most expensive part. Because what we're talking about here this morning is hugely important, the vows. There's a cost in following Jesus. There is no escaping that reality. But remember, there's a cost whatever Lord we choose to worship, whatever God we choose to follow. But in view of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, writes the apostle, surely the least we can do in response is to make ourselves wholly available for him and in his service. Therefore, I urge you, sisters and brothers, says Paul in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that way you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So we pray.
as we discern God by His Spirit speaking to us through the Scriptures. So we prepare our hearts to come to His holy table by responding quietly, worshipfully, in whatever way is appropriate, whatever is necessary before we partake of the elements which represent Christ's broken body and his shed blood for us. O our Father, please do a work of grace within our hearts and within our lives today for your glory and for the benefit of others we pray. Amen. If it's convenient for you to turn to Psalm 40, it would be helpful. In the Pew Bibles, it's page 566. And I'm going to read the first verse, and I would be grateful if you were to then respond with the second, and we'll read through to verse 8. So Psalm number 40, page 566. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you not desire, but my ears do not pierce. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty Father, thank you that the word of life became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And as he withheld nothing, but gave himself up, <coughs> 
his body on the tree. May we, our Heavenly Father, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. As we pray for ourselves, gracious God, so we also pray at this moment for others who weigh heavily upon our hearts, those within our congregation, beyond who are experiencing particular trials or challenges or difficulties. Parts of this world in turmoil and tragedy. We pray for the offering on Christmas which will go to help people in the Central Africa Republic of Congo And ask our Heavenly Father that it may be of help in the relief of people's suffering and pain. We pray today for Alan and Ruth Dickey as they embark on their new ministry in the Stewartstown area. And for people within our families who are going different parts of the world and are in different places and people within our workplaces with whom we must draw alongside and ask our Heavenly Father that you may transform our minds so that we will not simply be the same as other people in our places of responsibility But all we do, all we say, all we are, will speak of Christ the Transformer. And we pray, our gracious Lord, in view of your mercy to us, that you will enable us, please, to live Christ-like and honoring lives. And all these are prayers we ask in the name of And for the sake of Christ, our King, to whom be all glory and honor and praise. Amen.